really do. You're a 21 year old punk fucking kid. This grandpa's given you everything all your fucking life. You've never had a car payment, a house payment. Everything you live in was given to you by grandpa. You fucking don't know what it's like to work for a fucking living like I do. To bust my fucking ass and do what I do. And you know what, Sean? You fucked me, and that's the way you got it. But you know what? Your grandpa's money will run out someday, and you'll have to feast for yourself. Get a fucking jog, you piece of shit. Welcome to Behind the Smoke Podcast, Barbecue War Stories. My name is Sean Walchef with Cali Comfort Barbecue. We are recording above the butcher shop in Spring Valley at Valley Farm Market with uh, Derek Marceau. Today is a special day. Today's a very, very special day. This week's been great. Everything's been going just smooth as ever, man. Yeah. It's been great. Uh, this is a, for those of you first time listening, this is a business and digital marketing podcast as seen through the eyes of uh, barbecue business owners. Um, for us, we're very fortunate to meet some incredible people um, on our barbecue journey that have introduced us to other incredible people. And thanks to Scott Heath, who uh, was one of our podcast guests, the president of Fox 5, uh, he introduced us to our guest today, and that is uh, Jim Floros, the CEO of Jacobs and Cushman San Diego Food Bank. Welcome Hello. to Behind the Smoke. Thanks for having me, guys. It's uh, it's seriously uh, it's a pleasure for Derek and I. We're very humbled. It's a huge that, honor, man. We're humbled we're for, you take, yeah, well, for you to take yeah for you to take. Let's see time. how this goes and see if it's still an honor <laughs> after. I promise we won't kick you out. Yeah, yeah. I, I I won't leave you a voicemail like uh, the intro to the podcast. That was a former business partner. Uh, one of the things we like to do is talk about the entrepreneurial struggle. Um, as much as everyone wants to get out there and own their own business, there are a lot of things that we deal with on a day-to-day basis that we have to overcome. Uh, part of what we do in this podcast is share those struggles. And um, there's a reason why people keep grinding the way that they do. And that's, uh, that's because you got to have persistence. Absolutely. And you're, you're king of persistence. <laughs> um, check my emails if you don't believe me. Uh, you guys send me more emails than I know what to do with. And I'm getting notifications every 30 seconds on something that you're either... I'm trying to break your iPhone. Oh, I think you did it. I think you did it. Um, but yeah, no, it's uh, you know, always being innovative and making sure that... You know, we're, we're ahead of the game. And I think, you know, just kind of talking with you a little bit earlier, um, Jim, we've already heard how you guys have that entrepreneurial spirit and you guys are already wanting to be innovative in different things that you guys are doing. So let's, uh, let's kind of dive in, man. I'm here, buddy. Let's, uh, how did it all start? Uh, the food bank? Well, yeah. Or me? Both. Okay. Well, uh, what's more interesting? So (laughs) I, um, I'm a Wisconsin boy. And I uh, knew I was getting the hell out of Wisconsin at a young age because it's too damn cold. Close to Madison? <clears throat> uh, Ripon, right up by Oshkosh, Fond du Lac. Um, and so uh, we had vacation in San Diego when I was a kid. So I uh, drove across country, literally by myself, didn't know anybody in San Diego, came out here to college. Wow. Uh, back in the those days before cell phones or anything like that. I'd stop every night at a Holiday Inn, and I'd call my mom, and she'd say, oh, <laughs> you're still alive. Call me again tomorrow. And right? that was it. I mean, it was, you know, you'll figure this out. And so I came out here to college, and I've been here ever since. Um, and I'm a career nonprofit guy, so going on 34 years nonprofit, fell into my first nonprofit job uh, right out of college, uh, Project Concern International at their world headquarters. So I was there for about seven or eight years. Then I went over to the Burn Institute, and uh, was there for 20 years. I went there as my uh, as the development director. Okay. And 18 months after I joined the agency, the the uh, board fired the CEO, and they put me in as the interim CEO on my 33rd birthday. 
Really? Uh, I was deer in the headlights. <laughs> um, I always had this goal of this hope of being a CEO, maybe by the time I was in my 40s. <laughs> and suddenly here I am. And, uh, you know, fake it till you make it kind of thing. And sure. the firefighters really liked me. This is a mustache. Right. And, and so I thought I may never get this opportunity again. So I uh, kind of just grinded away. Like you guys talk about, I just grinded and uh, and got the job and uh, lasted 20 years there. And we... I literally built it to be the top burn foundation in North America, and that was a lot of fun. Then I left to do my consulting business, and I wasn't as excited about that as I thought I was going to be. And then somebody tapped me on the shoulder and said, uh, we're looking for a new CEO of the San Diego Food Bank. Are you interested? And I didn't know anything about the San Diego Food Bank. I really didn't. I knew the my predecessor. And I said, mm-hmm. oh, that looks interesting. And I applied for it. And, and uh you know, they couldn't find anybody better, so they hired me. <laughs> so, what, best five years of my career. What really brings someone to wanting to do nonprofit stuff? So, right outside, you went to USD? Yes, University. So you, yeah. yeah. Fellow, beautiful fellow school. Terrero over yeah, here. There yep. he is. No, there Absolutely. you go. Yeah. Um, University suck them dry, is what we call <laughs> <laughs> You ain't lying. Yeah. yeah no uh, but, what, I mean, you knew right out of high school or out of college that you wanted I to do I did not. No? I was not Johnny Go Save the World type of thing. Mm-hmm. My degree was international relations. I thought, uh, maybe diplomatic corps. And I thought about going to Washington DC and getting my master's and doing that whole thing. But then I became very selfish thinking, I really like it here in San Diego. I think I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to, I'm going to stay. And so then, um, I decided I was going to do PR, you know, I, you know back then you go, oh, I'm going to do PR. So I kept applying for uh, PR jobs. Well, I didn't have a PR degree. I didn't have a portfolio. I'd never written a press release. I had never done an internship and I couldn't understand why people wouldn't hire me. And then uh, someone said, well, maybe you should go do an internship at a charity. They'll take pretty much take anybody. Right. <laughs> and, and so I, it was because I, I had the international background. I, I landed at, uh, at Project Concern and was grinding out and just doing press releases and writing articles. And then I had the fortunate or unfortunate circum, uh, experience of being successful at fundraising. The, well, hell with PR. You're your fundraiser, <laughs> and then I fell in love with it. You get the bug of of doing the nonprofit thing, and then sure, and bad. I had professors and people talk about their legacy and what are they doing in life and how are they making a difference in the lives of other people, and that really never registered until I had that like the aha moment, that epiphany. I'm like, oh, that's what they're talking about. This feels really good, and then I was hooked, and then like I said, that's all I've ever done uh, since I was a youngster, and now I'm you know older. Well, I, don't, I wouldn't call you old, but it is, it is Not something to my that face, right. Yeah. It is something that we do talk about. I mean, it's Sean talk about our visions and what, what what do we want out of life? Is it a monetary gain? Is it something that you want um, to get as many transactional things as you can through the register and, and get people out, or is it more about you know the communities and, and giving back and, and letting your kids see what you're doing yeah. and wanting to model after that? And that's always what's been most important to us. And I think we probably found that at a pretty young age. I think we're pretty that's great. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm 34, so it's 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 uh it's cool to to see you know our mentors do that same thing. We're we're really excited. You know, about it's them. as I've gone on in life, you suddenly start thinking about your legacy and what does your life you know mean. And when you're on a on a porch someday, when you're 90 years old, pooping in your pants, and then we look back and say, "What has my life meant?" And I'll right. look at what I've done, both you know, at all three different nonprofits, the lives I've saved, lives I've changed, people I've helped in their most dire moment. Um, and what we're doing with the food bank is crazy. We're going you know, to feed 370,000 people a month. And <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. How many? 370,000. 370,000. A month. A, a month. month. That's not an annual. A month. Non-duplicated. Wow. That is unbelievable. Yeah. And you're working with over 400 other nonprofit and agencies. And that's, that's one of the things I love the most because, you know, you get into the whole idea about – 
community and we're local and we're invested in the community and you get into the science of like capacity building and empowerment and we've got 400 nonprofits so for your listeners any nonprofit in San Diego that has a feeding program, more likely than not, they're, they're getting the majority of their food from us. Yeah. So that's from the big guys that we all know, but down to little church groups that have a food pantry or what have you. A lot of groups right here sure. in your backyard are getting food from us, and they're helping people in need. Well, I mean, that's that's what it's about. I mean, a lot of times people get so caught up in these, uh, you know, welfares and, and, you know, they're like, oh, the, the system's so messed up. It's everything's fucked up. And, and it's like, well, it's not about that. It's about the vision. It's about what we're doing. And, and you know, to be able to see big, you know, big people doing these things and feeding that many people in need is huge. I mean, it's sure. absolutely huge. It's it's really it resonates with me a lot because that's what i I just continue to want to do is just whatever we can sean and i talk about it all the time it's whatever we can do to help we need to be the change that we want to see yes if if we're not that change then who's going to do it you can't point at everybody else you have to look at yourself in the mirror and say hey am i doing what i preach and you know i'm telling everyone else how we we need to change but am i changing am i taking those steps to make sure that we're proactive and doing everything we can do and it's not just the bottom dollar right and and, And it's the people you inspire along the way and maybe you inspire them to do the same thing so now that's a part of your legacy i look at people that have worked for me and they come back to me and say i learned this from you i learned that from you i've got three my VPs at uh, the food bank want to be CEOs and I tell them the day you get your first CEO job will be my my proudest day and so I'm working to help them because they're part of my legacy and I'm part of somebody else's legacy so you got to give back right yeah you can't make you we we always talk about not suppressing people you know it's like I want everyone to grow yeah if it can all be we can all work together I'm not going to suppress my employees if they want to grow they take initiative say hey I want to come early and and learn this let's go I'll I'll teach all day long I'll do whatever I can and I want to see you go on and do whatever it is. Cause I know there's a lot of people that I have right now. It's like, look, you're going to do something. I, I can tell, I can mm. feel it. And I'm just excited to be able to be a little part of it and watch you grow. That's, yes. that's, uh, it's enticing to me. Yeah. I think one of the things, you know, you never know where that inspiration is going to come from. Uh, you know, I was fortunate that my grandfather who, uh, grew up on a farm in Bulgaria, immigrated over here and was able to send me to private school in La Jolla and go to bishops. And oh, wow. part of bishops curriculum is to make sure that we do community service hours those community service hours when you're in high school, I mean, it's a joke, you know, you're, you're, you're just, you hate it. You don't want to do it. You know, um, you know, we had Shane Walton who we partner with organizations and training for our barbecue events, um, to help them raise money for at risk youth. We had him on the podcast and we talked about, you know, really about giving back and, you know, how important it is to us now in our businesses to build those relationships and to actually not just giving back, here's a check, but how do we create opportunities for people to actually come and participate so that they can see the impact, you know, get back to the education. And um, one of the things I noticed what, what your mission is, is, is education. Absolutely. You know, breaking that poverty cycle. So can you tell us a little bit about that? <clears throat> that I think that was one of the things that uh, I didn't know. I tell my staff, I'm the poster child for the misperceptions people have about what the food bank does. <laughs> I knew my predecessor. I had no idea. I thought I was just homeless people and people on welfare. And it's not true at all. Um, there's not 370,000 homeless people in San Diego <laughs> County. Um, but what really excited me is that we're working towards societal change. So we're not just feeding people. We're literally trying to break the cycle of poverty. Um, we know uh, that nutrition-related disease is linked to poverty. So when people have less resources, what they can't afford is protein and fresh produce. But what they can afford is high sugar, high salt, high fat. So now you start seeing 
generations of unhealthy people uh, directly related to a poor diet, which is directly related to poverty. So obesity, diabetes, hypertension. There's actually all these studies now about mental health issues that one of the most predetermining factors for mental health issues later in life is hunger at a young age. Not only is it a lack of brain development, wow. but also it's the stress and the anxiety that's involved with not having enough food. So we know, we believe that education is the major vehicle for breaking the cycle of poverty. Well, childhood education starts with childhood nutrition because we got kids that don't eat over the weekend. They don't eat uh, before they go to school. They're eating a really poor diet, so their brains aren't developing. So they're basically just taking up uh, space in, in a classroom. And, uh, and so, you know, the chances of them getting a good education, limited. So it means the chances of getting a good job, limited. Chances of them being able to provide for their family, limited. So chances they're going to be dependent on the food bank may be pretty high. So there's your cycle of poverty. Right. Um, the old catchphrase that the food banks use is, if you don't eat, you can't learn. If you don't learn, you can't earn. Yeah. So really what we invest in, we have a full-time nutritionist on staff. We're everything we do, we grade everything we distribute. We don't distribute soda or sugar or what have you. And we're teaching people how to eat healthy so that kids can be healthy, go to school, get a good job and be self-sufficient. And believe me, people who are getting our food, they would much rather have a good paying job and provide for themselves. Right. Sure. I mean, it's, it, it's incredible just to see that mission because, you know, my, my wife, you know, we have a seven month old and she's educating herself or educating herself and everything comes back to that foundational nutrition you know yeah. from from having enough nutrition to be able to have that brain get stimulated in order to you talk to, to any neurologist yes and they talk about brain developments nutrition a, a child's brain is 90 percent developed by the age of five so you got, you know, four and a half years ago, buddy. So yeah. don't screw it up. <laughs> no, we, my, my brother-in-law told me this before I even had kids. He was talking about it. But, you know, they were doing a bunch of organic stuff and really, you know, his kids ate very, very well. And he's like, look, they got like five years where they're going to, you know, really soak everything in they're like sponges right now and i have to do my job and give them the best opportunity to be the best person they can be and it's it is staying away i mean i wish i would have known that shit i mean I know, Jesus, right? man, i've been struggling with weight for for a long time after playing football and it's like dude if i would have just known that was that old saying like you teach a guy to to fish you feed him for or you give a guy a fish you feed him for a day teach him how to fish for Feeding for life. That's, the yeah. same thing. It just goes right back to, to education, educating those people, letting them understand what it is. I mean, now I, I played football at Kansas State, and when I go back now, they have nutritionists. Oh yeah. They have, I mean, everything just dialed in. When I went, it was like sloppy joes, <laughs> as much ranch dressing on as you want. Exactly. You, had, you literally had a, a soda. Um, machine you can go get as much soda as you wanted i mean and it was full sugar full <laughs> carb everything we literally carb loaded the night before our our now they're understanding that's wrong but we would have pastas and everything the night before because they wanted to get enough carbs in us they didn't even understand that right yeah now it's like, times have changed yeah, yeah now absolutely. it's like man you're not you're not running efficiently if you're doing that you're talking about produce, right? Oh, yeah. So how, how much produce are we talking? Well, last year, as an organization, we did uh, more than 26 million pounds of food. 26 million and, pounds and nine, of food. And about 9 million, of, <laughs> 9 million of that's fresh produce. So 9 million pounds of fresh produce oh, last year. Wow. If you, when you guys come out to the warehouse, it is wow. supply chain at its best. I mean, we have full fleet of semi-trucks, uh, bobtails, refrigeration trucks, drive-in freezer, drive-in refrigeration 
like I said, we're pushing through 26 million pounds of food and, and nearly 9 million of that's fresh produce. Who do you guys partner with for that produce? So this is, a, uh, this is awesome. And this is something that uh, your listeners will find actually uh, educational and interesting. So food waste, first of all, um, uh, the expiration dates on food, right? All a bunch of BS. There's no national uh, regulation on any of those expirations are best used by dates, except for the baby formula. So uh, the manufacturers use that best used by dates because that's when flavor is at its full peak. It's all a bunch of BS. They want you to think you're going to die if you eat this <laughs> one day after, throw it away and buy something else, right? Yeah. So we know that the, the tons and tons, I mean, literally billions of dollars worth of perfectly good food are thrown out every year. So that's, that's that side. But then when it comes to fresh produce, only about 30% of fresh produce that's grown makes it in the grocery store because it's the stuff that's perfect, right? right. USDA has mandates on size yep. and shape. You go in the store, every cabbage, pretty much exactly the same. Well, what happens if you have a cabbage that's bigger, cabbage that's a little smaller? You're not going to see them on store shelves, not sure. each other. So it has been cheaper for farmers to destroy that product that if you grew it in your backyard, wow. if you grew it in your backyard, you'd eat it, um, then box it up and get to a food bank. Luckily, in California, there's a program called Farm to Family, and it's run by the California Association of Food Banks. And all the food banks, 41 food banks in California, we all co-op together, and we buy that less than perfect fresh produce uh, for about 12 cents a pound. Wow. So last year, that $9 million, $5 million of that was through this program. And your listeners can't see me, but I've seen crazy crap. I've seen watermelons like that. I've seen <laughs> potatoes the size of your head. Uh, during the drought, I saw citrus that was really small. Right before the end of the holidays, I saw some pears, and they were beautiful. They were just absolutely beautiful. But they were like two inches, three inches. They're just tiny little pears, right. and you're not going to see a little pear in the grocery store. But yeah. you know, it's beautiful to us. And yeah, so no, we, absolutely. Uh, so we're getting a lot of that product that commodity product that people want um you know people buy with their eyes so yes. that, that's what it is and if it just doesn't fit that um and that that's actually a, a thing that we're having a little problem with with or, organics yeah it's that it's not as pretty pretty as as the other you know but um you know just educating again your consumer what it what it's about and there are flaws on it and there are you know different things but if you grew it in your backyard you did it right you know there was a i saw a video and it's a um a farmer at a farmer's market and he says okay i'll have one head of kale and i put that one head here and it will sit there all day because people think there's something wrong with it but if i bring 25 out i'm going to sell 18. so i have to sacrifice seven to sell 18. well that's the same at grocery stores they overstock because that's to look big and beautiful and bountiful but they know that 30 percent of that they're, they're going to throw away or compost yeah sure that's and i mean i think that goes right to the heart of problems you know not just in grocery stores you know like Derek but you know at restaurants too oh, yeah. you know part of what we're trying to do is figure out a way to not over portion you know like it's great to come to our restaurant and have a you know a two two combo meal where you get ribs and tri-tip and then you get you know potato salad and mac and cheese but at the end of the day it might be way too much food it is. you know it, yeah. it's great for for people oh i got my money's worth but maybe it's better if we reduce the price of the and actual it, and menu then maybe item. they only eat half of it yeah so maybe the do. rest is going to the landfill but you can't do that anymore right it has Correct. to go to compost yeah, and that. yeah. T tell us a little bit about the uh the composting so we were putting about six hundred thousand pounds of uh refuse in the landfill each year and uh, a big part of that was a lot of the uh, was produce but it's also you know canned food that's expired and, and all that so we 
um, you know, very innovative. Like I said, we're making it up as we go. And we partnered with a company uh, in New Jersey called Four Solutions. And so we're doing on-site composting at the food bank. So it's two pieces of machinery. One is called a turbo uh, separator. And basically, it, it it's wet loads or dry loads. The, um, the wet loads are really interesting because you have canned product. The cans are sealed. The food is in the can. You just dump all these cans in this machine. It crushes the can. It squeezes the food out. The food kind of goes this way into this one big bin. That metal can's a little ball of metal, which we'll recycle for money. Then we take that food product. We mix it with wood shavings, like you'd see on the bottom of like a guinea pig cage. They call Echo Flakes. Uh-huh. Goes into this huge vessel. Uh, the digester it's probably about seventy or eighty feet long. It looks like a spaceship. In this big tube, it rotates. Uh, it heats the product, it kills the pathogens, and finished compost comes out in five days. Wow. I mean, I'm not even smart enough to understand. No, that's, wow. That's amazing. That's and, amazing. So, and so we're doing about 80 to 100 cubic yards of compost now a month. And you're talking about how much, what's the impact, the financial impact? Well, about uh, at least about twenty-five dollars to $35,000 a year in savings, dump fees, and all that. Uh, what's cool about that, and, and I always judge the intelligence of people I'm touring on uh, what they ask me, they ask me what I do with the compost in, and you guys haven't really gotten there yet, so we'll just kind of let you get a, give you a pass. Uh, um, um, but we could sell it, but we have 400 nonprofits that have allowed them to have community gardens. So it's kind of a cool story. We take the food product, we turn it into compost, uh, we give it to our, our partners for free. Right. They grow fresh fruits and vegetables, and so that's in keeping with us being a nutrition bank. So uh, that's awesome. Got your own little ecosystem going. Yeah, we really do. Yeah. And then we've done a bunch of other stuff at the warehouse um, because that Erwin Jacobs guy, yeah. very fond of him. <laughs> big, big time. <laughs> big, big guy. And he uh, gave me a million dollars two, three years ago, and we put 1,400 solar panels on the roof. So that's saving us $120,000 a year, which equates to about 600,000 meals. And if you go to the freezer, you guys will see that we have this stuff called phase change material that holds the cold in. So we can turn the compressors off at night. So that saves energy. So everything we're doing as far as energy savings is resulting in enough savings for 850,000 more meals. And then we've gotten probably half a dozen or more awards in the last year or two. The best one is that we were awarded the lead gold version four award oh, wow. first food warehouse in the world in the really world, in the world i wow. thought it was just first in the u.s and i'm at the press conference and they got my talking points there for me and some gal who's some some environmental group in poland she came up to me she goes oh no i'm sorry to tell you you're the first in the world no one's ever no wow. food warehouse has ever achieved this i'm like oh now we're the world food bank cool i'll take that. that's right. great no, that's I'm, another little feather in the cap that you can't uh can't take can't that be away. Taken away can't take that, that away really, really where did you where did you learn to take on the entrepreneurial side onto the nonprofit? Because I think that's probably very challenging for you know. I mean, you have a board of directors, you have people that you know. Need I, to- I, well, first of all, I believe in begging for forgiveness rather than asking for permission. <laughs> That's got me. That's got me. We're good. We're good at that. That's got me. That's got me pretty far. You know, I I I don't know. I'm a um. You know, I'm Greek, and I'm basically a a Greek businessman that works for a nonprofit. And and uh, my first gig at the uh, at Project Concern International, um, one of my bosses was from IBM World Headquarters. They had this program called Executives on Loan, and they would take you know old aging executives who were heading towards retirement. They'd pay their salary the last three years farm them out to nonprofits and teach us the real world. So, you know, he said, hey, Jim, don't fall in love with your charity. Businesses do business things for business reasons. Their philanthropies tied to their organizational goals. You help them achieve those goals, uh, they will help you. If you don't, they'll go find another charity because there's 10,000 worthwhile charities. So that alone 
It set me aside from everybody else in my career. I've heard 250 times, wow, we've never heard that from anybody in a nonprofit because you guys just say, ooh, help us, we're a good cause. So then, and then the Burnett Suit was a completely uh, local nonprofit as well. And so, you know, you get a good idea, you get an idea that maybe works and fits your mission. Somebody comes to you with a good idea. I'm like, we can do that. And then we get the funding for it, you know, and you want to be cutting edge. You want to think outside the box. I got a great, really talented um, senior staff and we sit in these staff meetings and they're, they all have as, as stupid and immature sense of humor as I do. <laughs> so we're in tears, but they're smart and we come up with crazy stuff. I'm like, all right, let's do it. You know, um, you guys may know assembly member uh, Lorena Gonzalez. Yes. Uh, you also learn with Lorena, you generally don't say no. To <laughs> Lorena gets pretty much anything she wants. And um, she's a huge supporter of ours, big supporter of ours. And <clears throat> she came to me last year and my program gal and uh, Vanessa, and we were meeting with her. She goes, I want you guys to become a diaper bank. I'm like diaper bank? She said, well, you know, single mom uh, on food stamps, CalFresh. Uh, she gets a job, which is what we're all about, lifting people out of poverty and having them be independent, and that's awesome. And then she gets subsidized daycare, which is another hurdle, another big step, because, all right, what do I do with my kids? I got a job, but now what do I do with my kids? I was better off on food stamps, so what's the motivation to get off food stamps? Totally. She gets subsidized daycare, another hurdle, another step forward, and then she goes to the, uh, daycare, and they say, you need to show up with 8 to 10 diapers. Well, diapers are expensive. And so end of the month, she runs out of money. She runs out of diapers, can't take her kids to daycare, which means she can't go to work. She does that enough time. She loses her job. She's back on food stamps. So something as simple as diapers could be that one little piece of the pie that's the the difference between somebody becoming self-sufficient. So she pitched me. I looked over at Vanessa. I said, what do you think? She goes, yeah. All right, we're a diaper bank. And so there's a national <laughs> diaper bank. We actually registered. There's a national, who knew there was a national diaper bank? So now we're registered and we can buy diapers and wipes and formula at a discount. People are donating, you know, a lot of diapers to us and all that. So that was just like, that That's, was the level. And then I told my board, I guess they're not probably not listening. Maybe they are. <laughs> I told, oh, guess what, guys? We're a diaper bank. They just tell them after the fact, right? It's like, right. oh, and they go, oh, that makes sense. But it's, but it's incredible because you're taking that risk on, oh, going, yeah. you know, this is what our mission is, except now I'm working with partners. I'm working with other leaders in the community that are telling us this is what our need is. Yep. If it, that need is tied back to your educational mission, even though it's not directly related to food, it actually absolutely is. It's a pass-through program. Correct. The food passes through the child's body and it goes into the diaper. <laughs> there you <All> go. Right. <laughs> if you have to explain the joke, it's not that funny. <laughs> Um, but you know, you, you want to be a risk taker. You need to take calculated risks and sometimes things might not work out, but you want to keep pushing that envelope. You can't be great unless you think great and be big. And, and, uh, you sometimes it may not pan out, but well, you know, not, you not everything's to, a home run. No, no. It's, it's, and it's what, when you don't hit those home runs, you start to learn and you, yeah. that, that's where all the growth comes. You know, you, you take those risks, calculated risks that didn't work out. Okay. Shit. Then re reassess. What do, what do you do wrong? Yeah. And then go from there. We're um, Another case, um, we acquired the North County to, uh, Food Bank about yeah. two years ago. And I had funding sources up in the... And, and one thing I've learned about North County, it's a completely separate community. <laughs> and they take great pride in that. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm talking to a Rotary Club up there. 
And uh, I'll tell this stupid joke. I'll say, oh, I've discovered there's a county between Orange County and San Diego called North County. And they all, and they all laugh like hell. They think that is, hell. yes, damn right. There's a fence at the 56. We don't dare go south. Right. And they take great pride in that. So I've actually stumbled on a market pretty much the size of Cleveland. And the fact now I have a facility up there, they love that. And they've really embraced us. But I got a lot of pushback from people saying there's no poverty in North County. What are you guys doing up in North County? Well, there's tremendous amounts of, of poverty up there. And so it was a kind of a bold move. We'd had a record-breaking year fundraising, so my board said this is the time that you invest in expansion because I had some great, great board members, great business minds, and so we committed to it. It was adding probably about three hundred fifty thousand dollars to my to my nut, and it's like, well, I bet you I can raise at least that much from just up sure. here, North County. All the big companies are up there. There's some great uh, donors up there, right? And so we've launched it. Been there about two years. I need a new facility, so we're probably going to do another bold move and probably try to run a capital campaign and raise like six million dollars for a new facility and just keep pushing the envelope. And how do you go about doing that? I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) No, well, you know, you get you get a consultant, somebody who has a lot of experience in that. And generally, which you know, you have your nut of what you would need to raise, and then you start meeting with people, and you try to have raised at least fifty percent of it before you're going to announce that you're doing the capital campaign. Yeah, and you know, we've got some pretty pretty heavy hitters, and if we do something really cutting edge, really innovative, a couple of the people that I'm reaching out to, they could just write a check for the whole thing. Sure. Now, how does someone get involved? Let's just say they don't have a ton of of money to give, and they just want to volunteer. I mean, what's the steps for that? We we hate volunteers. We don't use them at all. No, we love volunteers. Are are integral in everything we do. We actually have twenty thousand registered volunteers. We have twenty five thousand volunteer visits a year. What it's volunteers incredible. do tonight will be part of a distribution tomorrow. And all nonprofits will say, you know, volunteerism is our lifeblood. And and no more true than with the um, San Diego Food Bank is literally. They're uh, helping us push out that 26 million pounds of food, and they're making backpacks. They're doing senior boxes. They're, and the volunteers range from uh, Girl Scout troops to Harvard Alumni Association. We get big corporations that come in, do team building, VPs, CEOs. Uh, I think we have like 400 companies that actually um, volunteer with us. That's, that's I, awesome. uh, I listened to a podcast with one of, uh, one of your leaders uh, recently, and they talked about a program that you guys went into to – keep volunteers coming back to reduce to to have better retention um talk about the program and and why that was important because i found that fascinating it's something that you don't even you're always just trying to get volunteers but you know as derek and i we put on charity events and we try to get people to help us put those events on we find that sometimes it's better to have less volunteers because we need people that have actually done the event in the past to give them those you know people want to be everybody volunteers for a different reason you know some need it on their resume some people need to get community service hours sometimes we get some court ordered non-violence <laughs> people they get forced into servitude um but you know and it's just a lot of people are realizing they want to do something impactful we get a lot of retirees you know we have the twenty thousand, but some of those are just people who want me to volunteer once a year but we have that core of 100 to 200 and there's just the hardcore there's some of them that i see they're at the warehouse more than i am and so it's just giving back making them feel appreciated doing little things for them we'll do you know ceremonies and all that we're working on a program where there's like a point system and then you can win swag for what you're doing so we're just starting to kind of roll that out nice that's amazing i mean like i said i just it's so cool to see what's going on and a lot of times people don't even know like i I didn't know a ton about it and just to learn you know doing my due diligence on everything it's it's really really cool to see how did it all get started 
Well, um, from what I understand, so we're last year was our 40th anniversary. So I think it was you know late 70s, and they were doing something down in the South Bay, and it started. It was just like a turkey drive, mm-hmm. and then they started seeing that uh, people had needs throughout the year. So then they started. They got a small warehouse. They started getting food. You know, it wasn't that much, but they started doing stuff year round. And then I think the first food bank in the United States was right around that time, maybe a little before that, and, and I think it was in Phoenix. And so basically that concept just started, and then you start realizing the number of people that are really in need, and it's not just homeless. Yeah, I, I realized that this year I did a, on Thanksgiving, um, I posted on social media about giving away, um, I said, if you guys, if someone doesn't really have a turkey for Thanksgiving, um, I came in early in the morning and I said, I want to put uh, 20 half turkeys on the smoker. And if you don't have one, come pick one up. Nice. And I'm just going to donate them to you guys. And um, I was so surprised with the amount of people that actually needed it. And, you know, I had a lot of people saying, you know what, Derek, well, what if someone doesn't need it and they just come take it? I was like, well, that's that's Fine. on their conscience. That's not on me. That's that's on them. I can't not do it because of, of someone being negative. I'm just going to do whatever I can to be positive and, and try to get back. And it was, I mean, it was, like I said, I was surprised on how many people didn't have something. Oh, yeah. And we were able to A lot to of people out. are very proud. Yeah. And they won't take our help. And we yeah. tell them there's enough food for everybody. Come get the food. Oh, no, there's people who have greater needs than me. You know, I, I'm not coming in. We almost have to say, no, really, this is here for you. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things, you know, at least for, for Derek and I, it's very important is there is that sense of pride. But, you know, it's the children, you know, the yeah. children that it means so much to us to see you guys doing like a backpack program. And that's something that I'm sure there's a story behind why there's a backpack program, because you can feed the child, you know, Right. Monday through Friday, but then they have to go home on the weekend, right? Well, it's crazy. When I came to the food bank and they, they were taking me out to all the program sites so I could try to speak somewhat intelligently about what we're doing, and uh, <laughs> we're heading to an elementary school, and I asked my, uh, you know, my VP of program, well, what's this? Well, this is a backpack school. Well, what's that? Well, we have elementary age school kids uh, that their last meal of the week is on Friday. Uh, they get fed during the week through a program called the Free and Reduced Lunch Program. That's a federal program, a Title I school. So these kids get a breakfast and lunch during the week. But then their last meal of the week is on Friday. They have lunch on Friday. And then they will literally go all weekend without eating anything or very little. I'm like, BS. There's no way. In today's society, we got kids that go an entire weekend without eating. But I've been there. I've seen it. I've talked to the parents. I've talked to the students. Uh, the teachers and, you know, these kids are non-performing. They're just, they're just in a daze in classroom. You hear stories about teachers who literally have their own pocket will buy food and have it in their desk yeah. because they know what kids are not eating. Right. So these are not just hungry kids. These are chronically hungry kids. So no good news in something like that. But, uh, we are, we, we are giving these kids a backpack of nutritious food on Friday, gets them through the weekend. Monday, they turn in the empty backpack. The next Friday, we do it all over again. So this year, we're in 41 schools and 12 school districts, just under 2,000 kids get one of those backpacks every Friday. And mm-hmm. I still got 10, 12 schools on a waiting list. And we have a, you know, we haven't talked about it, but we do a lot of serving the military. Uh, I've got a backpack school on Camp Pendleton. So those really? Are, those are all military Oh, kids. wow. Wow. I mean, you, would, you, you, wouldn't, wouldn't, you wouldn't think that that would be a need. Well, you wouldn't think about it even just right now. I mean, people going a whole weekend without eating, and it just goes back to, you can't expect a kid to perform at an optimal level if, no, if he's exactly. not if he's not eating. You know, it's 
And getting back to what we were talking about breaking the cycle of poverty, this program is laser-focused on having these kids be healthy mm-hmm. and be able to concentrate and sleep well You know, over the weekends because a lot of times if they're not eating, they're not sleeping, then they come back to school and they're not rested. So, again, they're not on their, their best uh, form. So it's about these kids being able to be healthy, relax, study, get a good education, take care of themselves. It's so important, very, very important. So talk about a little bit about uh, some of your – war stories some of the some of the things that didn't go programs that you maybe rolled out that didn't work out and um, what you learned from them well you know i just haven't had any of those <laughs> <laughs> we forget about most of them too. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know i I've, I've had small turds um you know this last year we have a thing called it's a virtual food drive <clears throat> and um and uh, so people can go online and buy food on our behalf. It's really popular because we have people that are well-intentioned. They'll do a food drive, but maybe it's a half a barrel of food. Well, I'm sending a, a driver and a truck out to deliver the, the barrel, to pick up the barrel. So we uh, ask them, well, would you be interested in this virtual food drive? So it's like a storefront, right? You go on, you take the items you want to buy. You're buying food on our behalf. You take it across the scanner, it, it beeps, and then you create your grocery bill, and now you're buying food on our behalf. So we can customize virtual food drives. Uh, for companies, whatever, they can, they get a special link and they can, um, email it out to their contacts. Big companies will do internal competitions and all that. So I had this great, uh, idea that we're going to do the College Alumni Association Virtual Food Drive Challenge. I'm thinking, you know, the competition of colleges and sports teams and well, it'll be great. And someone will break down Big Ten, the Pack A, you know, all that. Purdue is the only one that participated. (laughs) And I think maybe we got to do a better job of rolling it out. So I think it still has potential, but a few of them pushed back. So, well, no, we're raising money for our own alumni association, you know, but I think we're going to try to do something again this last year, but that was a big turd. That'll make my wife happy. She's a boilermaker. Yeah, well, they, and they won. Guess, yeah. yeah, and you know who came in the second? Nobody. <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> <laughs> one of one. And I'm yeah. sure there's other failures, but I just, you know, I've mentally just erased them from my mind. I may come up with one. Talk about uh, the challenges, just uh, everyday challenges. You know, I have, you know, so I'm a career nonprofit guy. A couple of things, one of the things that grinds me, and maybe I'm a little different than maybe some, but when people say, well, people who can't cut it in the, for, uh, the for-profit side, private sector, they're the ones that end up in the nonprofit. That just pisses me off like you can't believe because actually it's just the opposite. You see people who are in the private sector and they go work nonprofit and they go, oh my God, this is really hard. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, you can't afford to pay your employees a lot. So you've got to have people that really are so dedicated to the cause. They're willing to be brave enough to have the courage to say, I'm going to make less money because I want to do something that's impactful. I was talking to one of my staffers the other day about you know, I would if I was in the private sector, I'd be living in Rancho Santa Fe. But you know, I live in the same house I bought in Chula Vista when I was 36 years old because that's enough. I raise my kids, I have a comfortable lifestyle. But it's about having the courage of of doing less, uh, doing more with less. So we, you depend on volunteers, and that's a workforce that is. That you hope these people are going to perform like they're a paid employee, but you know they may not. Um, you work for a volunteer board of directors. You raise every dollar that you're going to spend. I mean, so it is it is a strange existence, and there's nothing better. And, uh, you know, everybody has bad days, but you, know, you go home and go, well, oh, well, that's why I do it. I'm helping all sure. these people. So it gets you through that. Have you seen a trend of it getting harder to raise capital? You know, or, or the businesses that have always stepped up still still doing what they've done for the past 10 years? Or are people wanting to do more volunteering and not, you know, give as much cash per se well i mean 
You know, that's a complicated question. Um, the thing is, I mean, I've been successful at every place I've been as far as fundraising and all that. It's all mm-hmm. about having some common sense, mutually beneficial relationships. You sure. know, we're talking about that guy with the guy, IBM guy. I go into every partnership. Like, you know, if you, if I partner with you guys, mm-hmm. first thing I'm thinking about is not feeding kids. I'm right. thinking about, okay, what do you want? What do you need? How do I help you be successful with your company? How do I bring in more clients? How do I give you visibility? And then after that partnership or whatever we do together, you go, oh, that was good. You know, I really like the food bank. They get it, right? And let's do it again. So my success has been building long-term relationships and partnerships. And I know these people keep coming back. And that's how I build because I'm not going after those same dollars. And when I came over here from the Burn Institute, you know, what the Burn Institute does and the food bank could not be more different. But all these sponsors and all these donors followed me over because they said, well, Jim gives as good as he gets. He understands that it's a, a relationship and a partnership. And you see our media campaigns. I mean, my sponsors who are sponsors of the Holiday Food Drive, they're participating in a million-dollar earned media campaign. And so, I mean, they're getting huge visibility, and we are really clever on how we do our media buys. And, you know, Scott Heath and uh, (laughs) Bob Bollinger and people who are in media say, you know, our arms hurt from Jim twisting (laughs) our arms because we squeeze out every possible dollar we can get. But – you know, and we have TV stations now that literally are competing to want to be our TV partner. You know, well, it's, it's got to be great to see guys like Scott Heath that understand the vision too. And it's not just always about the transactional thing. There, yeah, yeah. he understands what what it is to give back, and if he can be a part of it, I, I can't speak for him, but I'd imagine that's what you know. He's like, okay, well, keep twisting my arm, we'll fucking figure, we'll yeah, figure it out. Well, well you know, <laughs> yeah. I remember before Scotty was a GM, he was a general sales manager, and yep. we were friends, and you know, and all that. And my wife does those trips, as I was telling you about, with them. But uh, we weren't getting as much love as we wanted <laughs> in the morning news, right? We weren't getting as much visibility, we weren't getting as much airtime at the at the station. So I just said, can you help me? So you know, Scott, here's Scotty. You know, he goes up to the morning producer, he puts his arm around him. <laughs> And he's got a sandwich and a six-pack of beer. He goes, come on, we're going to take care of my buddy Jimmy, right? You're going to help Jim out, right? And, you know, and that's how, you know, he made it happen. Then he becomes a GM. Well, then, you know, we're all, you know, I just copy him on an email in the whole world. Yeah. Just pays attention. But, you know, it's relationships. You guys know that. Everything I do, it's about relationships. Um, people like you. People want to support you. Um, there's never a, a hard sell. I'm never really grinding people for a donation. Basically, we tell them our story if they like it. They're going to support us if they, it's just not their thing. Well, I've educated somebody else about hunger and what the issues are in town. And then they move on and do their own thing. Yeah, I think oh. it's important for people to understand. Sean and I talk about it a lot, but you know, you really kind of hit the points on, on, on it. It's, I think leaders need to realize that you serve. Your purpose is to serve other people. And it's not like you don't lead by the front. You don't, it doesn't matter where you're at. You, you serve the community. You serve other people and you saying, okay, I'm about relationships, meeting those people. And it's like, how can I be a service to you? What added value can I give? And then you create a long-term relationship. So it's not just, what are we doing this year? It's, what are we going to do in the next 10 years? What are we going to do in the next, where are we going to be? There's a guy in town, and he's kind of a a big deal, a heavy hitter, Malin Burnham, and and I know him pretty well. And his thing is, his motto, he actually put it on a business card, service before self. And you really start thinking about having and having the courage to do something in your life that's bigger than you are. You know, it's not just, you know, it's great that you take care of your kids and it's great that you coach your kids sports. And I did all that, but doing something beyond that and maybe some self-sacrifices for a greater good, because if everybody thought that way, the world would be a better place. And that sounds a little corny, no, but then when you no. live it, then suddenly 
you know, you kind of get it. It's like, wow, you know, this is makes me feel good about who I am and what I'm doing. And my kids grew up with that, so they don't know they don't know any better, right? Sure. They grew up going dragging them to firefighter spaghetti dinners and all the different things we had to go out to, and they they came along and they they love it. Yeah, I mean, I think it goes back to what we were talking about. Is you know, Scott Heath when he was here on the podcast, he talked about how did you guys actually get a chance to say anything, or did Scott just cover all? <laughs> No, we, so Scott. Scott was fantastic. We introduced him. We introduced him. <laughs> and tell us when you're done, Scott. But uh, I love Scott. But no, what he what he talked about was you know how he you know got on his journey was he was always about learning about who he was serving and yeah. you know the more that we focus as leaders to the people that we're trying to do business with and learn their essence and their whys, how can we be of service to them? It's incredible how many opportunities open up because you realize that, you know, through education, through sharing, through transparent honesty, people are in business to make money. And, you know, as there's a nonprofit, nothing wrong with that, there's right? nothing wrong with that. And you go into those meetings embracing that yeah. and going to find out, well, how can I help your overall mission? And maybe that mission is maybe they're having a tough time with engagement with their core staff yeah. and maybe doing something for the food bank Absolutely. is going to change that. It's going to create an annual event that changes the dynamic of, of that workforce that ceo is going to be forever grateful because of that you know that opportunity we get a lot of groups come in they do just that team building and bring their executives in or, or what have you so i mean it's basically trying to be a you know a good person doing good things i actually had a friend he was a general manager of a car dealership and he was you know a salesman salesman right and, and <laughs> he let me he let me sit in, in one of his sales meetings and and um, you know i'm just it's it was pretty powerful. And then he's, you know, and I'm not a super religious guy, but he's you know, quoting the Bible and stuff. And then his whole thing was, if you do something nice for somebody, uh, it may be complimenting uh, somebody on their shoes or with their hair, or you hold the door for them, or you do a, make it say a kind word. And that lifts that person up. And, may, and maybe that person has a little better day. And then you hope that that person goes and does it for somebody else and then for somebody else. And it, you kind of think of it's like a little corny, but then it's not. So, I mean, I've done that. Most of my life, I go out of my way, the kind word. And if you compliment somebody on a tie they wore or a pair of shoes or something, then the next time they look at those shoes in their closet, they're like, oh, yeah, last time I wore these, somebody complimented me on these. I look good in these. And, you know, that's kind of helping people. I, sure. I think people need to realize, too, it's it's really easy to be negative. <clears throat> it takes really? sometimes a lot of effort to make sure that you're going above and beyond and saying those positive things. Positive affirmation goes so much further than people sure. understand. You know, uh, patting my employees on the back. I I was brought up with a uh, you know playing sports and stuff where it was more of a discipline and very rarely did you get you know right. a, a ton of praise. Because you be soft, <laughs> right? And now you know that's how at first I started approaching my employees. You know I push 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 beat them down and then slowly build them back up. Now you're kind of realizing you know it doesn't it doesn't have to be that way. If they do something good, pat them on the back. Yeah, just just help them out and. They could be having a horrible day, or they could something could be happening at home. They they come in, they're bringing it to work, and then you just say something like, "Hey, dude, hey, you know, you're looking sharp today." Whatever it is, they're like, "Okay, you can change their attitude like that," and then that's contagious. It's 100% contagious. They could have been a cancer for that day and Mm. brought everybody down, or they could be the positive light that you wanted. That's going to uplift everybody. Absolutely, and it. That's where it starts. When you're in a position of authority, you really don't realize the power you have. And I didn't really realize this because I was, you know, a CEO at a young age. I thought I was going to have this great mentor who was going to teach me all this stuff. So I had to figure it out myself. 
But when I was at the Burn Institute, the Coronado firefighters used to do a spaghetti dinner for us every year. I'm like, well, they don't care if I show up, you know. I mean, it's, you know, they're they're fine. They know I love them and whatever. Well, they kept saying, well, why isn't Jim coming? But whatever, it meant something to them. So every year, I pack up the family and we'd head out to the spaghetti dinner, and I have a plate of spaghetti with the firefighters and hang out with them, and that meant the world. And now, you know, I go over to the food bank, and we have 60 employees, and you and I had an experience um, at the Burn Institute where I said something to some employee. I don't. Ten seconds after I said it, I was probably as a snarky little joke. I didn't even. Know, I don't even remember I said it. And this employee, obsessed about what I said the entire weekend, thought I was going to fire him, and it came into me all upset on Monday morning. I'm like, what? I said what? And I didn't. And so everything you say has this great power, but it also has the opportunity to do something great. So. If I hear something, I walk through the warehouse probably half a dozen times a day, and I hear something good from senior staff about someone in the warehouse. I'm like, hey, I hear good things about you. You know, keep up the good work. And he goes home and tells his wife, hey, Jim came by and said I was doing a good job. Huge. And you have this huge power, and it's a burden, but it's also kind of a, an obligation. It's a great thing. We have yeah. a, a manager meeting every Monday, and we go around and talk about positives and negatives and who's doing, who's going above and beyond, who's taking initiative, and I will go to them every single time and just same concept. Just tell them, hey, man, we just had a manager meeting. You came up a lot, and it was extremely positive. I just want to tell you good job. Man, you can just see it on their face right away how, how excited they are because, you know, sometimes I get myself, I'll walk around with that, that resting bitch face, right? Where I'm, I just got so much shit to do. Yeah. And I, and Is that I, what you call it? Right. And people, and like, people look, feed off of that. And totally. Go. Totally. I had a CEO one time when I was really young and I walked down the hallway and I was like 24 and I hear comes the CEO and I go, good morning. And I don't think he heard me and didn't make eye contact, walked by. I'm like, I'm screwed. I'm getting fired. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, for the next week, I thought I was, he don't even remember walking by me. Yeah. Sure. That's exactly how I get sometimes. I get this tunnel vision. We've got so much stuff going on and someone's like, oh man, you just weren't really approachable. Well, I have to look at myself in the mirror and say, look, you need to make the change. Yeah. You, you need to make sure that everyone knows that they can come talk to you. I have a presence just in being big, right? Just I'm, I'm 6'3", 300 pounds. Just that alone is intimidating try, sometimes. Try having one eyebrow, man. People think I'm pissed, <laughs> think I'm pissed all the time. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's, you know, you have to make sure that you know those little things that you don't think are a, are a big deal are really a big they deal. They really are. They really I think are. It, it comes down to gratitude and, it, you know, those micro moments that you have throughout the day. And especially as the leader, you know, as leaders of our organizations, what we're trying to do and, you know, do something bigger than, you know, our restaurant, our butcher shop, our events, um, partner with people that have, you know, really the pulse of what, you know, our region, you know, this is our region, this is San Diego, this is something that we take pride in. And there's so many times throughout the day where it's easy to let all the stress of sure. all the things that are mounting. But if you take the time for those micro moments, and you really embrace that you can, the opportunities are endless, yeah. you know, one, one of the things I try to teach my kids, I mean, you're here and you can have a good attitude or a bad attitude, but the bottom line is you're still going to be right there. So why not have a good attitude, glass half full, because you're in the same spot. You might sure. as well enjoy the ride a little bit because, you know, that's your attitude's not going to change where you are. It, it is what it is. Sure. Uh, talk about the events. I mean, you guys are very event driven and, you know, for Derek and I, I don't know how it's, we seem to keep adding events to the schedule, but it's become a foundation of who we are and what we want to do because the event isn't about Cali Comfort. It's not about Valley Farm. It's about 
really it's about growing the sport of barbecue sure. and growing the region and celebrating visibility for you guys and visibility and, and the opportunity to sure. meet you know people it's pr you yeah, know back it, to what you, back absolutely. to what you were talking about in the beginning you were looking for a pr job but yeah. you know once you stop focusing on yourself or your own business and start focusing on what's bigger than us um well you guys we are really you guys are a cool. lot smarter than you look let me tell you. <laughs> no, we like it that way <laughs> that's not that's just not don't play poker don't call, play poker with us they call it country they call that country dumb right? <laughs> that's um, right well you know what you put your finger on a lot of people don't get it you don't like for a nonprofit. if you're just doing an event to raise money then you shouldn't be doing the event there's so much more sure you want to make money because that helps but it's a threshold that people are introduced to your organization and they find out about who you are and what you are and the event kind of draws them in and then you hopefully they get excited about what you're doing and then you do hopefully take them to become go from an event donor to a food bank donor and then you build it into I started our gala as part of my development program I'm going to I'm going to it's going to be the centerpiece of all these other things I'm doing but it gives me an excuse to ask people for money it gives me an excuse to bring people together celebrate the organization bring in corporate sponsors I get them into the warehouse so now they, I, we, when, I, when I give you guys the tour of the warehouse, we refer to that as the drink the Kool Aid tour. And I'm force, and I'm force, yes, feeding, and I'm force feeding the Kool Aid. I bring them in the far east side of the warehouse, and I walk them through all the stacks of food to the west side, so they have to see all this food. And then you know that's how I, I get them, right? That's fantastic. So I, I, I've been accused of being having a cult, but you know, it's hey, for good. For good, it's for good. Yeah. No, but the, but the gala. I mean, it goes back to what you were talking about with the firefighters. You know, and what we've found is that when we have partnerships with people that help us put on our events, when Matt Savant, the CEO of the San Diego Gulls, is actually at our event in Spring Valley, participating as a judge. Um, his whole front office is out here cooking as a barbecue team. It changes everything because yeah. now they understand the bigger picture of who their partner is. And it's not just, oh, you know, we're going to lip service. We're going to tell Sean and Derek, hey, this is what we're going to do. No, they're actually there. And for us, it, it means the world. Yeah, it's a it's a vehicle, right? Yeah. Now, you know, you mentioned we do the gala. And we were talking about it before we started that we do a gala in the warehouse and it's Three months out, we're already sold out. Um, it's fantastic. One of my favorite event that we do, I love the gala, but the San Diego Blues Festival is actually our event. And I'm a big blues guy. And I came to the food bank, and there was the jury was still out. There were people who weren't in love with the event because the business model was not where it needed to be because we're still not in the entertainment business. We still have to raise money. But I thought... I got to fix this thing because this is so cool <laughs> that we're doing a blues festival. So we've got the business model. And we're doing well. Uh, we do it the weekend after uh, Labor Day. It's right down on, Bar on Barcadero North, right by Seaport Village, right on the water. There's a thin uh, sl slice of uh, park. Two stages, nine bands. That when this band finishes, this one starts, boom, 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 like that. Uh, last year, our headliner was Mavis Staples. Uh, we've had Elvin Bishop. We've had Los Lobos. We've had... Uh, Eric Burden, um, and so, you know, fantastic day of music. Uh, we'll get about four or 5,000 people, and then we have two VIP areas. But the best story, my best experience, is that uh, the, my first year, they said, well, we want you on stage before every band to talk about the food bank. I'm like, well, I can do that, right? And they said, well, you're up there. Do you want to introduce the bands? I'm like, really? I get to do that? It's like the best day of my life. <laughs> so, and I'm hanging out with Elvin Bishop and, you know, and, and just uh, really nice, great uh, artists that just want to play music and all that. And it's just so much fun. Well, it's great that you have a, a board of directors that supports that, you know, because part of what Derek and I have learned is, you know, putting on events, they're, 
it, it takes a lot of money to put them on just to begin with, let yeah. alone to get to the point where you can, you know, let people know what your bigger vision is, you know, and then to get through those first couple events, um, you know, you got to be very strategic, lean. Um, you got to figure out ways to, to get people involved that'll actually help you get the event off the ground. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, if you're really trying to do an event and you're just trying to raise money, it's probably not going to work right away. And, no. and you have to go into it understanding that you have to understand that you're getting, you're gaining, you're gaining value, but it's not a monetary value. So you're getting exposure. You're doing things. Sean and I, I mean, if we're in it for money, we're fucking the wrong thing. <laughs> we fucking lose our ass all the time on, on these events. There was this Ted talk. There's a private sector and, and, and nonprofits and private sector. You start a company. You don't expect to really turn a profit for three years. You cannot do that in nonprofit. You're not making money from the first moment. Oh my God. And, and you you're not making money and how you do this and they don't have that that vision that right. you know it takes time to develop those relationships it does it does we have people that come to us a lot and ask us questions about you know throwing events and that's one of the main things we're like look we get that it's beautiful and sexy and it, it, it it's really appealing but understand that it's a lot of hard work and it's the countless nights that we have that where we don't we don't sleep and we're just going and it takes a toll on our families and, sure. we're, and we're just continuing to push and takes a toll on our our pocket our pockets too because sure. you know we're not getting all the money back but it's bigger than us it's bigger than us it's the vision and, and as long as you can educate the other event people that, that want to throw it that's what it's about yeah. and it, it will come if you throw a great events and you're you investing them but um it's not just this all of a sudden hey let's throw an event and we're gonna make fucking twenty thousand dollars yeah it just doesn't fucking happen it doesn't happen talk about your role now on a macro scale with the california as a president of all, yeah. all the food banks i think i missed a meeting <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so it's a, the organization's called the California Association of Food Banks. We were talking about it. They run that fresh produce program. That program brings in about 175 million pounds of fresh produce for food banks throughout California that would have gone to the landfill. So I, you know, been with the food bank five years. Two years in, they asked me to join the board, and then last year. The board chair decided not to re-up, and I was sitting there holding my you-know-what, and, and they basically said, you know, you're interested in being board chair. Well, I always knew I would eventually would do it anyway, but I thought I'd have another year or two, so I'm the board chair, which is great for me personally. It's great for the San Diego Food Bank. I'm the first board chair from an independent food bank in the history of the organization. Really? So that's really huge for us. What, what does that mean? Well, there's a national food bank uh, called Feeding America. Okay. And that's, a, you know, they're they're run out of Chicago, and there's about 200 of them, and they're the big 800-pound gorilla. They're not as entrepreneurial. They're not as invested in the local community because, you know, they can't be because they're so big. They have to do things a certain way, and they have guidelines or policies, and something that maybe works in Chicago maybe doesn't work here. So sure. I don't want Big Brother telling me what to do. Well, so you, that's what you, you already talked about it. Things that work in North County are different than how well, they work absolutely. down here. And absolutely. your ability to pivot and your ability to embrace that micro community where you're at gives you leverage. Exactly. Because then then you can buy you can buy into that. They're not going to buy into you until you buy into them. Exactly. And so you know the national it keeps looking at California because it's how much fresh produce it's grown in California, right. and they keep looking at that 175 million pounds, and they'd like to have that for throughout the U.S. But because we're independent, we're on our own, and we'll have a relationship. But so actually, uh, uh, they know who I am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they do. But I mean, I'm sure the you know the farmers that are actually getting oh, yeah. paid now for something that they used to not get paid for. Perfect. They're 
they're they're grateful. Everybody wins because the farmers get a, a tax write off on product that was going to go either they're plowing it under sure. fertilizer or it's going to the landfill. So it helps them. The environmentalists like it because it's not going to the Waste. landfill. And then obviously the food banks are getting all this great product. And if you looked at it, I mean, it looks perfect. Sometimes it's just too much of a product or what have you. So food banks are benefiting. The people we feed are benefiting. You know, it's it's a win win win. Talk about your uh, your marketing approach. I mean, I know I've, I'm very impressed. Uh, for us, digital marketing is something that's, um, you know, one of the forefronts is the reason why our restaurant's still open, you know, to, to this day. And, you know, the more that we embrace social and all the different avenues that we have, the more awareness that we're getting for not just our restaurant, but our events and our mission. And you guys have really done an incredible job. It takes um, money to make money. It does. And, it's, and it is a business. And we invest in that. And, you know, we do media buys with TV and radio stations. And generally, I'll be able to find sponsors that'll pay for that. And then they get huge visibility. So sometimes when I partner with a company, the money they give me is not out of their philanthropy budget. It's out of their marketing budget. Smart. So you imagine, like, I have two big sponsors for the Holiday Food Drive, and they right. each give me X number of dollars, and it comes out of their marketing budget, but they're part of a million-dollar campaign. So it's about awareness. It's about visibility. Digital media is insane. It is it's, intimidating. It's big brother. They know what you are, who you are, when you want to be there, what you like, what you don't like, and then you open up your an app on your phone, and there's an ad there from the San Diego Food Bank saying, buy a hunger bag at Barnes. Sure. Like, what? Yeah. So it's... I mean, one of the most powerful things, that digital asset is going to become so valuable for nonprofits moving forward. I mean, those are the things that those relationships that you're building because you go back to the why. Now you have that company, that Fortune 500 company that's participating in a food bank event. But now you're creating a video that's there that they can use on their social side. They want content. They want like, well, why do I want to work for this company? We want to work for this company because we partner with San Diego Food Bank and we do all these incredible things throughout the year. Now you have something that's working working for you. Yeah, we get these heavy hitters and elected officials or whoever to, that uh, come in for a tour. You know, the warehouse, there's a, a photo. It goes out on social media and people are saying, oh, wow, Gary Rich from WD-40 was at the San Diego I Hoover. saw that. Yeah. That's so, so cool. Like, he is the nicest guy. And I'm like, so, cool. so it just builds us up, right? It just, you know, people say, wow, maybe this is something I need to be a part of. At WD-40, they have, uh, I've heard about them on Entree, Entree Leadership Podcast and they talk about how, how high their, um, their rate of satisfaction for people working in the company. Oh, yeah. is, they abs- it's like well, one of the highest. Well, that's of all Gary's of- thing. And, and you know, Gary, uh, Ken Blanchard, who's the guru of management and all that. So they've written up actually Gary, the, he wrote a book with Ken Blanchard, who's like I said, the guru of uh, management. And uh, he personalized the book. I just got it yesterday. And, oh, it, really? and it was, instead of writing me a note saying, thanks for the tour, he gave me a copy of the book and said, keep up the good work. You guys are doing great stuff there. It's all about the employees. It's all about, you know, that sort of thing. And I, I literally, I got, that's that, so yesterday. Cool. I got yeah. that yesterday in the mail. That's, that's awesome. so really cool. cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh that's very, very, very impressive. And, uh, you know, you guys are all over social, which is something that, that guy on the right, right over there, the you, your, your listeners can't see he's owns pawn shops. Really? And I'm fascinated with pawn shops. I've never been to a pawn shop. He's going to take me in and give me a tour. And it just looks like Costco, really. But, I mean, it's crazy. Well, SD Food Bank, is uh, that's the that's a social handle, and that's how people can find you. Um, 
we appreciate you seriously guys thanks means, so much for coming out so much yeah, to it was Derek an honor total um, honor and we we love just to have mentors like you that we can look up to and, and learn from and it's a uh, like he, sean said it's an it's an honor to have you here to sit down with us for an hour and and uh shoot the shit that's very and, kind of you yeah. i mean we've uh, we've been so fortunate you know to be have people like gene goikachea who's our barbecue mentor and then randy gill um, who passed away last year, but, you know, he, he gave us the, the use of his, his smoker. And, you know, that's something that, you know, Derek and I take very seriously. And, you know, the more opportunities that we can to, can have to use that smoker, which I'm sure we'll, we'll be in touch. Because, yeah, we definitely uh, need to talk. Cause I, I mean, know, we can, I will be, out. I will be stalking you. I'm yeah. already, yeah. Well, I'm already thinking about different things <laughs> you guys could do and get involved in, yeah. you know, and good for you guys. I yeah. Mean, we, hopefully we can help you build your business. And one of the, you know, one of the cool things about the podcast is we've had so many other barbecue restaurant owners, other restaurant owners that love to do exactly what we're doing, you know, like-minded people that are focused yeah. on bigger picture stuff and, um, you know, having partnerships with people like you doing, doing great things. You know, to, and we've got a great, uh, you know, relationship in the, uh, music community here because of the uh, the uh, San Diego Blues Festival. So we'll get national acts, but then we'll probably have five, six local uh, acts. And, then, cool. and they come out to a lot of our events and they give us a great uh, deal on, on the bands and all that. Too bad you guys aren't in North County because we do a barbecue and blues event up in North County, but that's yeah. a little far from Spring Valley. So yeah. Yeah. Maybe, we'll, maybe we'll do something down here. We can travel. We'll figure it out. Yeah, yeah. we'll figure it out. Well, uh, thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, we'll be back uh, next week with a special guest from Yelp San Diego, uh, Yelp Elite. Uh, Brad, Brad. Uh, we're going to be uh, digging deep into uh, digital marketing with uh, with Brad. But thank you very much Thanks, for your guys. time. We it's appreciate a lot of fun. it. Thank and, you. Uh, Pizza we, we, look, we look forward to our uh, our Kool Aid tour. Right. <laughs> Yo, you got it. Drink <laughs> deep, Kool-Aid. deep and long. Right on. Thank you. Thanks, guys.